It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Philip Bliss, a business visionary and co-host of Toronto's Podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network your source for great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. Robin Smith is co-owner and co-founder of VL Omni, which he has built over the past 25 years. He is also founder of genealogyman.com. VL Omni provides a platform for agile and scalable iPaaS e-commerce integration. It is used by global multi-channel to move data seamlessly through their infrastructure as they grow, expand, and accelerate their business. VL Omni is headquartered in Oakville and has offices in the UK as well. So, Robin, welcome to Canada's podcast. You know, tell us a little bit more about yourself, where you're from, give us the details on your current business, you know, let everyone know who you are. Great. Well, thanks very much for having me, Phil. It's, uh, it, it's a pleasure to be here. A little bit about my background. I have, um, I have an undergraduate degree from the University of Toronto in prehistoric archaeology. And I have a master's degree in international relations and transnational corporations from Webster University in Vienna, Austria. So you probably wonder about that kind of a combination. It's, it's uh, sort of a, a uh, very eclectic mixture. It speaks to my background. Um, I left Canada when I was three years old. We lived in East Africa. Uh, came back to Canada, lived in Ottawa for a few years, and then um, moved to Greece. And I spent most of my formative years living in Greece and uh, have lived in South America, uh, in Europe, uh, went to school in Switzerland, and um, have worked in, uh, in various places uh, in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, Somalia. Mm. So I've got this very eclectic background, which led me to, uh, after I finished my master's degree, I worked in the UN office in Vienna for a year. Uh, on the computerization of the world crime data statistics. And uh, from there, um, uh, ended up uh, coming back to Canada and working in international business development. Um, I, had, I had attempted and failed to get into the Foreign Service and uh, uh, was told that I had, uh, I had too much international experience. Um, and, it's kind of nuts, isn't it? You know, which which at the time was insane. I I mean, I speak three languages and, and uh, you know have traveled extensively. Yeah, yeah. But clearly, clearly, um, I was probably um, unable to be formed in the foreign service way. <laughs> okay. So that was my background. And then when we started the company, um, I was working for a division of of CN called Canac Telecom. Canac Telecom was the, the holding company that, that CN as a crown corporation had mm-hmm. uh, that um, uh, was the place where all non-rail activity within CN uh, happened. And I joined Canac from uh, an organization in Montreal called TEMEC, which was the uh, Telecommunications Executive mm-hmm. Management Institute of Canada. And it was a joint venture between the private sector and the federal government at the time to promote Canada's telecom industry overseas. And it was a phenomenal success. It actually still exists. So that's how I ended up at Canac. And I was working in, uh, in the Middle East, uh, Iran, um, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and uh, East Africa. And 
CN was mandated to downsize. So they sold off, uh, they sold off Air Canada because that's where the Canac name came from. It was Canadian National Air Canada. Uh, they privatized Air Canada. They privatized the phone companies, Terranova Tel, Northwest Tel, Telesat was privatized. And then what ultimately became Rogers, uh, CN's 50% of CNCP. And within this group, I was working in the BizDev for their telephone billing software division. And because uh, it was a perfect piece of software that fit into uh, small to medium-sized telephone companies. So there was a huge market internationally. They had installed it in um, Burkina Faso and the Ivory Coast. So my job at the Canac was to, was to go into these new markets, build the relationships, and so on and so forth. Within that software group, there was a group that did EDI, Electronic Data Interchange, and it was too mm-hmm. small uh, for CN to sell off. It was insignificant financially to them. And um, my business partner and I, uh, who uh, I'm still currently working with, uh, we took it over, and that was 25 years ago. Why become an entrepreneur? Why take the risk? What made you do that? Well, I was, I was always, you know, given my, my, my background traveling and, and so on and so forth, I mean, I was always a very twitchy employee. I was impatient. I was impatient with, with mediocrity. I was impatient with, with, uh, with big corporate structures. And, you know, in hindsight, CN was probably not the best place for me to end up. Um, My wife says it's ADHD, but I, I don't know where it is or not. But, um, well, yeah, your <laughs> your wife's probably not so far. Off. There's, a, there's a big component we, there. We, we both grew up in blue chips and went off kind of thing. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, my wife says to me, she said, she said, you're 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 not the type to work in the corporate world. He, she, you know, she said you would to tell somebody to go to hell <laughs> so fast. But anyway, so. Um, yeah, to why the entrepreneurialism? I mean, there is no real entrepreneur nature in my direct family. Both my father and my mother were not entrepreneurs, but my mother's father was an entrepreneur. And my father always says that he was probably the one that influenced me the most. I've got a high risk tolerance, so I think that's probably from my background as well. And I think you, you, you need a certain risk tolerance to become a. Yeah, how did you, you know, I mean, th- this is sort of learning how people did it. So you obviously were in that, the right place at the right time. That's part of entrepreneurship as well. How did, you, how did you get it rolling? I mean, taking it, funding it, you know, making a living overnight from not making a living. How did you do that? What, what, what can we learn from that? Uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. So when, when my partner and I decided to start the company, we, we were both uh, at CN. He was actually packaged out. And I wasn't. I was kept on. So I actually had to quit. And I had a fair amount of money saved up. I was single. I had a fair amount of money saved up from all of the travel that I was doing. The last year I was at Canuck, I was on the road for 32 weeks. So it was a lot of travel. So I, at the time, I was interviewing for a job in the UK with a telecom company. And... um, I didn't like the attitude. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I'll put some money into it and I'll give it a year. If mm-hmm. after a year we're not successful and we're not profitable, we can go our own ways. And um, he went off on his honeymoon and he came back and I had already sold four sites. And then we had to figure out how to, how to put this stuff in. And um, we were profitable after the first year. 
um, and have been profitable ever ever since. And I think part of it is being part of that profitability has come from the fact that we've been extremely disciplined about what we do. Focus is focus is everything. Then focus is everything. We've been disciplined about our record keeping. So from right from the get go, we had good accounting. Uh, we were very disciplined in getting invoices out. We were very uh, disciplined with not being bossed around by the customer, not running after anything that moved. And that would be one word of advice I would give to anybody is that you've got to be, as, as you say, focused, but very disciplined about your focus. You own it so you can fire the client. I always exactly, exactly. We had customers in the first years that, that I walked away from that I said, I can't do business with you. And I had one guy one time phone me up and he was screaming at me, asking me why I couldn't do business. And I just said, well, <laughs> here's why. You're screaming at me. So what, is it, what does a typical day look like for Robert? You know, uh, how do you maintain the kind of focus it needs to keep on succeeding and having fun? You've been doing this for 25 years now. How, how do you keep that focus going? Well, I think it, it evolves as the business evolves. Um, we've got 20 employees today. So um, I manage the, the sales and marketing and the administration. So I've got a director of marketing who I oversee. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got people below her. So um, I meet with her probably uh, three times a week just to, just to chart priorities. Um, I think it's really important that the people you have below you, that you empower them to do the, the right things, that you give them the latitude to do that. I think one of the things that happens in a lot of entrepreneurial situations is that the owner, the owner has this fear of letting go, so they micromanage. And when you micromanage, I don't think you, you keep the best employees. There has to be that level of trust. And that, that I think, has been the, fun, the biggest fundamental change. So mm-hmm. when I manage my sales guys, I give them the latitude. I mean, if, if, if there's something that they are not 100% sure on, the door's open. They can come and talk. You know, I don't get into the minutiae as much as I used to, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. But I think that, you know, at a certain point, you need to start to let go and you need to trust people. What are the biggest benefits for you being an entrepreneur in the GTA? I mean, why here? You're well-traveled. You speak three languages. Why, why, do, why do you stay here in, in Oakville in particular? <laughs> you know? I mean, why stay, why stay here? You know, you could, you could be, you know, well, let's not say UK because of Brexit. I mean, you could do business elsewhere as well. There's no question. I mean, I think you, you have to make the move uh, internationally when the time is right for the business. And it took us, it took us, uh, it took us a fundamental shift in our business to move from selling on-premise solutions to moving to the cloud that allowed us to now start to look outside of Mm -hmm. Canada. Um, we had always done business in the U S um, our customer base, uh, traditionally had always been Canada, U S split. Uh, but the cloud, the, moving to the cloud, moving our solutions to the cloud and offering cloud services has allowed us now to go global. I think the reason for Oakville was really family. My wife worked for one of the big banks uh, in a very senior position. Uh, she, head office was Toronto. It was too lucrative to move away from. I, my capacity to earn income was far less than hers. So um, that became the that became the imperative. Have I been twitchy? Absolutely. 
Um, I am much happier sitting on an airplane going someplace. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, what about your entrepreneurial community in, you know, in Oakville, in, in this area? I mean, does that, has it helped you? Has, has, Has there been any kind of benefits you've had from that? You know, it's a very interesting question. In high tech, one of the one of the things that that astounded me going to San Francisco for the first time was the the amount of cooperation there was between competitors, and it's something that doesn't exist in Canada for some reason, and I'm not sure why. I think that what Rima and Chris Herbert did with Silicon Halton was an attempt to try and uh, bring Canadian high tech entrepreneurs together, but I find that in Canada we are our, our 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 inferiority complex comes out, and we we tend to be very very guarded about cooperation. Mm-hmm. We have amazing relationships with customer with uh, with partners in the Middle East and in the UK. We have not been able to establish in Canada and even in our own backyard. And and that I think is is one of the the principal reasons why we've spent the energy going outside of Canada because. A, the market is there, but I find that the relationships that we build are a lot more lucrative um, than the ones that we build in our own backyard. So moving on from the business side, you know, we do some of our best work outside of the office. Is there a place, you know, in this general area where you like to go to recharge, to get inspired, to think? Quite a lot of people have a get out of here place. You know, that hopefully isn't the pub. You see, you <laughs> yeah. see what I'm saying? You know. Yeah. No. No. I don't. I don't really. No. I don't really need to do that. I don't really have the 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 place I go to. I mean, I think I do that when I, I travel. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, Vienna is is a go to place. I, I lived there for many years. Uh, I went to university there. I worked there. Um, I find just traveling and interacting with other people. Um, is where I get a lot of inspiration from. I love exchanging with people. I love learning about other places and other people. So I think I get ideas and inspiration that way. You know, solitude, yeah, some people need to go away. They need to unplug. For me, it's going home after work and unplugging from the office and not doing any work. I mean, I usually, after I get home and we have dinner, I don't do any work at all. I mean, I made that a conscious effort. So, and I think you need to find your own way of unplugging and not be constantly driven. So what does the first day, the first hour of your day look like? Do you have a specific routine that gets you kind of ready for the day? Um, I'll look at my calendar before I leave home to go to the office just to see what I've got call-wise. I usually have, at the end of the previous day, I'll update my to-do list of things that I need to do. But it's really just a matter of plowing through all the stuff that uh, that needs to get done. I'm I'm a multitasker, so it's incremental advancement of all sorts of things all at the same time. What books are you reading, or even audio books that you're reading now, or have read in the last two or three years that you think listeners should get a hold of because it inspired you, kind of thing? Wow, that's a tough one because I'm a voracious reader. So <laughs> I've got I've got piles of books around. Uh, Amazing how many people I interview that are voracious readers. Oh, oh I I can't. real thing. It's kind of interesting. You know? Yeah, no, I I read all sorts of stuff. Um, I'm reading John Le Carre's latest novel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've carried it to the Middle East. I carried it to Europe. 
I carried it to LA and never started it on airplanes. It went around in my backpack and I finally, uh, I was down in Vegas. I can't stand Vegas last week for shop talk. And I said, okay, I got to read this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going through John le Carre stuff. I love his spy novels. Um, having grown up in Europe in the seventies, they're, they're yep. very, they're very interesting. I also uh, I also read a lot of very eclectic stuff. Like I just started reading um, the Black Tudors, mm-hmm. and it's about uh, it's about uh, black people in Tudor England. I've got uh, Stephen Hawking's latest book that I picked up in London in October that is sitting on my pile. Um, so that's good. That's good. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you like to do for a profession? So not less less about running another business you know it's that's it's an interesting question i've always been told i would have made a, a great war correspondent interesting one yeah, yeah yeah which is a very interesting profession journalism i was never exposed to journalism as a kid um my father's a geochemist so i mean i was always exposed to science and uh, mm-hmm. my mother was a social anthropologist so i was always exposed to that kind of stuff Journalism was never something on my radar, but I think in hindsight, I probably would have done something like that. I mean, the diplomatic service for me, interacting with other people, other cultures, very, very interesting. I had somebody tell me at one point that I would have made a good spy. <laughs> I'm not so sure of that. <laughs> well, what kind of job would you not like to do? Oh, God. Um, work in a warehouse, construction. I'm not good at any of those things. So in business... What is your favorite word or quote, phrase, whatever, that, that you like to use? Oh, I hate mediocrity. That's, that's okay. What's your least favorite word, phrase that you like to use? Oh, my least favorite f- phrase, I, I don't like to use it at all, but my bad. I cannot stand my bad. <laughs> <laughs> when people use that, I just cringe. To me, it's like it's so uncultured and just so... I don't know. It's just, it just grates me the wrong way. So if you had to pick two words to describe, only two words to describe yourself, and I know it's not going to be my bad, so no. what would it be and why? What would they be? Uh, curious, uh, for sure, and um, restless. What keeps you up at night? Maybe nothing, I don't know. What keeps me up at night? Um, having to deal with, with stupidity. That's that's the biggest thing, and I think that's where a lot of my my uh, my entrepreneurial sort of bent comes from. Not having enough time to do all the things that I want to do, which which when I was younger that wasn't an issue. You know, you've got some good years logged as an entrepreneur, and and part of this, you know, for listeners is coming onto these podcasts and listening to entrepreneurs and getting some sense. What kind of advice that you may have received can you pass on to others? especially in the Toronto area or in Ontario in terms of doing business, building a business here? You know, I've always said to people who ask me, what, what are the, the sort of the gems that you've learned over the years? One is that you never have enough time to do the things that you want to do. Um, if you're a perfectionist, you're going to have to dial back your perfectionism because you just don't have the time. So you've got to be really, really surgical about what you want to do and what you realistically can do. I have no issues with people who want to dream huge and are, and are driven. The, the flip side of that is make sure you look after yourself. 
when you travel, um, and this is my rule when I travel on the business, I always take time for myself. I always carve out some time to go and do a, a touristy thing. I think that's really important. And I think people today need to think outside their boxes. They need to look. The world is a huge, huge and a very small place. It's easy to get around. And there's a lot of opportunities in areas that people don't even think there's opportunity. That's a very nice lead into this one we ask everybody. There's a small tropical island just off Fiji that only has one phone booth, no internet. We drop you off there. You don't have a computer or a smartphone or a tablet or anything like that. You can use the phone booth located there anytime to call the boat back and we'll come and pick you up. How long would you last before you made the call and what would you do there? Um, it depends where I was coming from. Um, on how long I needed to decompress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really the way I would look at it. I'm not one to be isolated. I'm, I'm a news junkie. So I like to know, I mean, I read, I, I, I listen to the BBC on my car coming in. Um, I read The Guardian on my, la- on my iPad in the morning. I get The Globe and Mail and The New York Times. Um, I don't think I could be isolated for very long, probably a couple of weeks at the most. Yeah, okay. Robert, you know, lots of people listen to this. How can our listeners get a hold of you? And there's anything you'd like to add before we kind of conclude today? What I say to any young entrepreneur or anybody who's, who's younger than me is, is be curious. Uh, keep an open mind. Um, you don't know everything. Uh, you will never know everything. And seek out those people who are experts. I find in, there are way too many entrepreneurs and people in business who uh, have silo vision. And they, they're not willing to listen f- to people who maybe have a different perspective and have different experiences. So that, that would be the, the advice I would pass on. How can they get in touch with me? On our website, uh, vlomni.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. They can send me an email. I usually don't connect with, on LinkedIn with people that I've never met or I don't know. Uh, but just message saying that they heard the podcast. That's, that's great. Interesting. Really, really been great, great meeting you and, uh, and listening to some, to some of those stories and, and experiences. Uh, thanks very much for uh, coming on Canada's podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Phil. It was my pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Phil Bliss. See you next time.